name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Peter has uh, written to believers that have been dispersed all over all over Asia Minor, which would be present-day Turkey for us. And uh, he's writing to encourage these dispersed believers. And I'm not sure if they were dispersed by, by persecution, although in the book of Acts it says that believers were forced out by persecution, or if they're dispersed simply because they've become believers and, and live all over Asia Minor. But Peter is writing to them in the midst of their struggles and in the midst of their suffering. And his goal has been, he said, to help them rivet their minds on the return of Jesus and to be encouraged by their future resurrection and all that God has promised. He's encouraged them by reminding them that they are a new nation, a new people. We talked about how they are like family. They're, they're like a people group. They're, they're a priesthood. They're a, even He calls them even a holy temple for God's own glory. And he's advised them how to live. You were here last week. He's advised them how to live in light of the fact that the return of Jesus, we we like to live in the imminent return of Jesus that is just around the corner for us. He taught them how to live in light of that. We talked about that last week. As he brings this letter to a conclusion, what I believe Peter is doing is just, he's writing down all these closing thoughts that come to his mind. Some of you are so young, you've never written a letter. You've written emails, right? They don't cost you anything. And you can send, you can send 50 of them in the, in the next five minutes. It doesn't cost you anything. So if you forget something, you just send another email out right after it. But those of us that are old enough to have written letters, you know, it, it costs you to mail a letter, and it took a long time for the letter to get there. So as you were closing your letters, lots of times things would come to your mind. Oh, yeah, I want to say this. And you'd add it at the end. And there'd be all these little things you'd be adding at the end so that you could just get them in there because you just didn't send out another letter for a while, and it cost you money to do it. And I, I sort of think, and I know I'm speculating, but I sort of think that's what Peter's doing, that as he's bringing his letter to mind, these are some things that are coming to mind that he wants to you know, get in before he actually closes his letter. And there's like six different subjects that he touches on in these final exhortations in his letter. And, uh, and if, I, if you would allow me, what I'd like to do is just kind of distill those six subjects down to Peter saying, do well in this, do well in that, do well in this. There's six of them, do wells, if you would. I'm going to call them do wells. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to look at just one of them. He, as he begins chapter five, he addresses his attention to leadership. And if we have to put a title on this, and I have put a title on it, I'm calling this simply Lead Well. Of the six topics, we're going to deal with one of them today and five of them next week. So uh, there, this one is Lead Well. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Now, as Peter begins his closing comments, he addresses the elders among the men and women that would be, or I guess I should say the men that would be receiving this letter. The word elder means older men. Uh, But the word came to specifically refer to men as a title of leadership within the local church. In the same way that shepherd, a shepherd is somebody tends sheep, right? It became a title, pastor, shepherd, became a title for this same group of men that were responsible for leading and overseeing in, in the body of Christ. In fact, there was three words that became synonymous with this ministry. They were the word pastor, they were the word, or shepherd, they were the word overseer, Seer and the word that, that we're using today, which is the word, word elder. So if you see those terms in your Bible, know that they're referring to a, a, in most cases anyway, referring to a particular position of leadership within the body of Christ. Now notice that Peter considers himself a fellow elder. He, he says, uh, he's your fellow elder, but he adds more. He says, but also as one who's a witness to the life and suffering and death of Jesus. He says, I'm writing you as a fellow elder, but I'm also writing you as someone who was there and who, get, who got to see the, the life of Jesus, got to see Jesus, how he lived in our world with us. And I got to see his sufferings and I got to see, uh, I got to see his life. So um, those of you that are elders, this is particularly for you this morning, but, uh, but it's, it's for more. It's for those of you who might see yourself as an elder. Maybe, maybe something I'm, I'm going to say from what Peter says is going to be something that's going to spark something in your, in your own heart, and it'll be particularly germane for you. But I think I can also safely say, now listen carefully to what I'm going to say now, that if you're in any leadership position within the body of Christ, I think what I'm going to say, even though Peter is directing it to a certain group of people, I think it's for any of you that lead. Maybe not everything will apply equally, but if you lead anything in our church, I think much of what which Peter says, or if you're on the live stream, much of if you're a leadership anywhere and you're listening, this is going to be for you. There's going to be a lot in here for you. You if you lead. And so my title is Lead Well. How do you lead? How do we lead well? Well, I think Peter gives us a number of ways that we do that. So here, let's dive in. Here's the first one. You lead well when your priority is caring for people. Here's what he says at the beginning. He says, shepherd God's people among you. That's a verb, to shepherd, to pastor. Uh, for those of you who are elders or would maybe be an elder in the future, let me challenge you that this is not a position of power. It's not a position of prestige. It's a position or leadership position of caring for people. It's all about people. It's all about investing yourself, your time, your energy in people. If you're not a fan of people, then, then being an elder or being in leadership at, at that position anyway, that's not what God's calling you to. If you don't want to see people flourish in their personal relationships and in their relationship with God, if, if you're not willing to get involved in people's lives, then probably God isn't calling you to be an elder if you don't like people. They say shepherds stink. I don't know. I've never really lived near them. But they say that that shepherds stink and because, because sheep stink. And so if you're with the sheep, you're going to stink. Now, I do have a great illustration of this. I remember when I first moved here some 30-plus years ago, Dickie still had pigs. And, uh, and he used to tell me, Jimmy, if you go in that pig barn, you're going to walk out smelling like pigs. 
And sure enough, it was true. You know, you just walked in there. I mean, I wasn't near them. I didn't touch them. But you walk into the pig barn and you walk out a little bit later, you're going to smell like a pig. And, and, and I think, you know, when you hang around sheep, you're going to smell like sheep. Now, I'm not trying to degrade us as people. Every good shepherd knows that he's first and foremost a sheep himself, right? So I'm not, this is not degrading any of us to one another. What I'm simply saying is that, listen, if you're not willing to get messy with people, if you're not willing to get involved in, in people's junk and try to help them and stuff, then, then God isn't calling you, I don't believe, to be an elder. If you're going to lead well, it's all about people. And if I could just jump ahead a little bit and say, even if, it's, even if we're not even talking about the leadership position of elder, even if we're talking about a ministry leadership position that's about elevating people or lifting people, it's all about people. And if you're not about people, then, then probably you shouldn't be leading an elder friend of mine told me that his primary responsibility and calling was to be in his office all week. And there in his office, he would pray and prepare his sermon and then deliver his sermon, you know, on Sunday. And that's how he shepherds. And maybe that's, maybe that's how we're supposed to shepherd. I don't know. But when I read the Bible, when I read about the life of these men that shepherded ahead of us and who had shepherded us throughout the ages, it seems to me the Bible portrays the elder shepherd ministry as a much more hands-on, interactive ministry where you're involved personally in the lives of people. So you remember last, was it last week or two weeks ago? It was two weeks ago when we were, when we took a break, it was on the missions, and I was telling you how to capitalize or how to marshal our greatest impact in the world. Remember that? And I went to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and, and there in chapter 2, remember this, what Paul said this? He said, we shared with you not just the gospel. We didn't just share, we didn't just preach to you on Sunday morning. He said, we, we were, we, we shared our very lives with you. And then he says, I was like a nursing mom. And I was like an encouraging dad to you all. So here, here's, here's how you lead well. You lead well when you see yourself about investing in people's lives. Being willing to help them flourish. Being willing to get in there when they hurt. And when people have screwed up. And listen, don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm a sheep first. An elder is a sheep first. So, I mean, all the same things I'm saying about an elder's responsibility to the body. I mean, those are our responsibilities to each other as well. All of us, all of us mess up. But listen, if your desire and your willingness isn't to be involved in people's lives like that, then, then the ministry of shepherd or elder overseer... Man, it's, it's not what God's calling you to. That's not to say that there's not admin. There's not admin involved in, in the elder ministry. I remember when, when Micah came on as an elder in our church, his, one of his first comments was, I didn't realize there was so much admin. I don't really like the admin part, and I get it. There is admin. But here's what Peter says, shepherd the flock among you. Care for the people. Be involved in the people's life. Remember what he said to Peter? Just remember this. It's not in my notes. Something good for you. Remember what God said to Peter after he'd messed up and Jesus and him are there together? And Jesus said to the guy who wrote this letter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And three times. And each time God said, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Man, maybe that's where this is coming from. I mean, this is where this is coming from. 
Lots of ministry leadership positions, uh, deacon positions, if you would, in, in my estimation anyway, a ministry leadership is, is a deacon ministry position. They're indeed primarily administrative in nature. If we go to Acts chapter 6, and it's the beginning of, of the ministry of caring for the widows and making sure they were fed. I mean, it was administrating and distributing food. But I'd say to you, even if you're a ministry leader and you're in a leadership position that's, that's maybe primarily or has a lot of admin in it, don't forget that you're adminning ultimately for people. It's ultimately always about the well-being and the encouragement of the body, you know, of Christ. So even if you do admin, you admin for the good of people. Here's the second thing he says. You lead well when the desire to care for people springs from your heart and not when you feel compelled to do so. Verse uh, 2, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So it's all about people. It's all about God's people. But notice this. It's all about leading not because you feel obligated, but because there's something inside of you that just is a wellspring inside of you, and you want to. You want to be involved in people's lives. You want to care for them. You want, you believe God's called you to do this, and you want to do it. Over the years, I've, I've, I've watched as we've asked people to lead different ministries. And, uh, and really, some of those, those deacon ministry teams, they're really about lifting people up. They're not even so much about admin. But of course, a lot of ministry, ministry leadership is admin. I get that. But invariably, I've noticed the same truth over and over and over again. I'll bet you, I'll bet you I don't care what church it is. I bet this is true. Ministries that are led by somebody who wants to do it, and who feels called to do it, and who feels like God is directing them to do it, man, that ministry really flourishes. But the person who does a ministry because they couldn't say no when they were asked, invariably, it's, it's really usually a subpar leadership job because they're doing it out of obligation. Peter says, if we're going to lead well, it has to be something that's coming from within you and not something that you felt obligated to do because somebody asked you. I, I'm a people pleaser. I find it so hard to say no. I find it hard to say no to even when I know a person has just asked me for something personal. I know they're taking advantage of me. It's just, it's hard for me to say no. To lead well, Peter says, you do it not because you couldn't say no, but you lead well because you believe God wants you to lead, and, and you do this. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't say yes when you haven't thought about it, and somebody's coming to ask you to do something, right? I'm not trying to say that, but what I am saying is that you need to crap, grapple with, hey, God, is this something you want me to do, and can I, do I really want to do it? Do it not because you can't say no, but do it because you want to do it because it's coming from within you. Here's the third thing he says. You lead well when you're not motivated by money. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of, by, as God would have you. I left that out. God doesn't want you to do this out of obligation. He wants you to do it because you love God and you love people. Not, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Man, you wonder why does Peter include that? Let me speculate, because already at the very beginning, people are doing what they're doing because they're motivated by greed. They're motivated by money. And Peter says, if you're going to lead well, men and women, you need to lead because it's not because of what, it's not because of money. 
And it's not because of what you might get out of it, okay? It's, it's again, the motivation comes from your love for God. Now, I want to tell you something. I could go to YouTube, and I thought about doing this, and I could show you some clips of some really famous preachers, and ultimately God's the, the judge. But what on all outward appearances to me seems that they are motivated by money. They're motivated by their own greed. And granted, I, I realize that only ultimately God can judge that. But I'm telling you, that's what it looks like. And I thought about showing you some YouTube sh shots like that. But then I thought, hey, why show them the counterfeit? Let me show you the real thing. And this is a story that I've shared with you. So forgive me that some of you have heard this before, but it's a great story to be reminded of. And it's the story of John Wesley and his life. And I want to read it to you. John Wesley was the, the great the great man of God who God used to bring discipleship to the forefront amongst the people of England. And he created what we call the Methodist Church today. I mean, it's left its root, roots, but it was the Methodist Church because Wesley put forth a method of discipling people that would help them grow and mature in their faith. But listen to this about John Wesley and be convicted. John Wesley had just finished buying some pictures for his room when one of the chambermaids came to his door. It was a winter day, and he noticed that she had only a thin linen gown to wear for protection against the cold. He reached into his pocket to give her some money for a coat, and he found he had little left. He just spent it on the pictures for his wall. It struck him that the Lord was not pleased with how he had spent his money. He asked himself, Will thy master say, Well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the coal. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? That's what he wrote in his journal. Perhaps as a result of this incident, in 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. He records that in one year his income was 30 pounds and he lived, uh, his living expenses were 28 pounds, so he had two to give away. The next year his income doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds and gave 32 pounds away. Uh, in the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. Again, he lived on just 28 pounds, giving 62 pounds away. The fourth year, he made 120. Again, living just on 28 pounds, he gave 92 pounds to the poor. Wesley preached, and I'm not necessarily saying this is what we need to do, but Wesley preached that Christians should not merely tithe, but give away all extra income once the family and creditors were taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. Now, I tell you what, now we should all buy into that. Let me read that line again. Wesley believed that with increasing income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not his standard of living. He began this practice at Oxford and continued it throughout his life. Even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds, he lived simply and quickly gave his surplus money away. One year, his income was slightly over 1,400 pounds. He gave away all except 30 of it. He was afraid of laying up treasures on earth so that the money went out in charity as quickly as it came in. And he reports that he never had much, as much as 100 pounds at one time. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will were the miscellaneous coins found in his pockets and dresser drawers. Most of the 30,000 pounds that he'd earned in his life, lifetime had been given away. As Wesley said, and I quote, I cannot help leaving my books behind whenever God calls me hence. But in every other respect, my hands will be my executors. Wow, pretty powerful, isn't it? 
If we're going to lead well, everyone, we cannot be motivated by greed. And, and if I would say not just greed when it comes to money, but the greed of praise or the greed of, of whatever you might be getting from this, right, leading, he's saying live generously. Here's number four. You lead well when you see yourself as a servant to others rather than their boss. Verse three, Peter says to them, not lording it over those entrusted to you. The tendency of, of men is to lord it over other men, to want to be their boss, to want to control and get your way, to call the shots, if you would, to be the, the big cheese. Peter says that leadership that's done well is done well when we operate in servanthood, when we see ourselves primarily as a servant of others, not their boss. And by the way, I think this applies to every leadership position in the church. And I might even go so far as to say that if you lead in the secular world outside of the body of Christ, I mean, I think this is a great principle for you to enact in your life all the time, right? Lead like Jesus and be a servant and not wanting to be the boss of everybody. Now, yeah, granted, if you're the boss, you have to act like the boss. You need to take the responsibility, the weight that comes with that. But, but you don't have to be bossy to be the boss. You don't have to be all about you to be the boss. James and John's mother, you know this story well as, you know, you know it well. But they, she came to Jesus and said, hey, I want the top two positions for my boys. And Jesus said, I can't give that to you. It's not mine to give. That's the father's to give. And the other guys hear about it. And of course, when they do hear about it, they're upset. Let me read you from Matthew. When the 10 disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. I've often said they became indignant because they didn't think of it first. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does a servant look like? Well, according to Jesus, it's one who's willing to give his life and ransom for others. It's, it's not, servant, being a servant doesn't mean we're weak. It doesn't mean we're indecisive. It doesn't mean we're namby-pamby. But it does mean that our heart is one of serving others, not being served by others. Now, forgive me for saying the same illustrations over and over again. I can't help it. Uh, they just, they come to mind. I guess you get in a rut. They come to mind. You've heard this illustration many times, but it's, it, to me, it's one of the best. And it was, it happened that day in the Revolutionary War when George Washington riding his horse sees this group of men trying to lift this beam up into position. The corporal's giving his words of encouragement, but he's not helping. And Washington from his, from his horse says to the, uh, says to the corporal, you know, why aren't you helping? And the corporal replied, he says, don't you realize, you realize that I'm a corporal? And Washington very politely replied, I beg your pardon, Mr. Corporal, I did. Washington then gets off his horse and he gets down there with the men and puts his arm under the beam and they get the beam loaded into whatever it is. And wiping perspiration from his face, Washington said, if you should need help again, call on Washington, your commander in chief, and I will come. Now, I know I've shared that story so many times, but it, I don't think it can be improved on what it means to be a servant leader where you are willing to do what everyone else is willing to do. You're not above that. You're not above that. And you should be doing what everybody else is. You know, it's just if you're going to be a leader, 
you, you, need to be, you need to be doing what everybody else is doing. In, and I, I'm getting ahead if I say what I want to say, so I'll wait. But Jesus precedes Washington, and maybe this is the reason why Washington was the way he was, because on the night that Jesus was to die, again, you know the story well, Jesus girds himself up uh, with a towel, and he washes his disciples' feet, something that the lowest of servants did, nothing that a leader would ever do. And um, you, you know, remember the story, but when it's all over, Jesus sits back down and he said, guys, you saw what I just did? You saw how I was willing to be a servant? That's what I want of you. If you want to lead well, you've got to be willing to serve others and not see your position of leadership, whatever it is, about others, about others helping you enact your vision. No, it's about you being a servant to help lead by, if you would, prioritizing others, I think. It's not about you. It's not about your position. It's not about your power. The next one, I done lost order, maybe five. You lead well when you see leadership as a stewardship from God. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. Peter says God has entrusted ministry to you. I, I wonder if we realize that wherever we lead or whatever we do, if we've been given some sort of leadership in anything, it is an entrustment. It is something that God has entrusted to us. It is, it is a charge. It, it's a it's an responsibility. Last week we saw how Peter talks about how uh, we have been given the stewardship of our spiritual gifts. Remember that? We've been given these gifts, and it's a stewardship. It's a, it's a responsibility. So whatever your ministry, it's been given to you as, a, as an, is an entrustment a word? I think I'm making up a word. Y'all can put that in the Oxford Dictionary because new, new words get in there all the time, right? It's an entrustment from God. Add that to the dictionary. It's not in the words if it's not already there. You know, one of the most difficult parts for uh, Nick Ripkin in Somalia, and I've heard him say this, at least I feel like this is what he was saying. You know, he was sent to Somalia, and when he went to Somalia, I guess the church, maybe the church just affiliated with Southern Baptists, I'm not sure, or maybe it was a... The church would fit in a room like ours here. It would fill up this room. And years later, when he, was, when he was done, the amount of believers would fit on the first two rows because everybody else had been killed. They didn't grow. They shrank from a room this size down to just two benches. And, and, and it just and it killed Nick because he felt the weight of responsibility for what God had called him to, and he felt like he failed. And the reason, one of the reasons why he and his wife went to the world to find out how does the church survive and thrive in persecution was because he felt the weight of responsibility back in Somalia. And I'm, I'm assuming, I haven't heard him say this, but I'm assuming that, assuming that he had hoped to take what he learned and go back to Somalia and try to help the Somali church flourish. You will never lead well. Now, you can, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You will never lead well until you feel the weight of responsibility in your leadership. Until you feel the weight of that, the weightiness. You know, the word glory means weight. And I'm not talking about the glory. I'm talking, I'm talking about the responsibility as, as, as a weight, as an entrust, as, as something that God has entrusted. Until you feel that, you're, you're not going to lead well. And let me tell you why you're not going to lead well. You're not going to lead well because you won't care. You won't care. 
until you feel the responsibility, the burden, if you would, that God has placed on you in leadership. Now again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I am not trying to say that you should be under some sort of wrong burden or be overburdened by whatever God has entrusted to you. I am not saying that, but I am saying that you feel the responsibility, the weight, the, the obligation that comes along with being that leader. Like Peter said earlier, don't, don't serve out of obligation. Don't serve because you're asked and you can't say no. But serve when you recognize that God is calling you and God has given this in, uh, entrustment to you. I remember when Ann and I first came here, we were, we were heading to the mission field. And that still haunts me a little bit, if you would, made us not the right best word. But I remember when we came here, I don't know if some of you old timers will remember, but one of the things that I said was, or I told the Lord, or I felt the Lord told me, was I don't need to use Bacon's Castle as a stepping stone to my ministry. In other words, that my ministry is to go to the mission field, and, uh, and so therefore I needed to do two years in an in institutionalized American church. And so that's all I was obligated for. If I'd have done two years, then Ann and I would have been acceptable to the mission field. But, but before any of that, I told Ann that, and I remember this really, really clear, clearly, I had pastor friends tell me, long-term pastor friends say, you'll never make a difference in a church unless you stay at least five years. And um, right or wrong, I thought that was true. And so when Ann and I came here, I didn't see this as a stepping stone to something else. I saw this as an entrustment that God, there's that word again. I saw, what? It, it is a word. Okay, great. I didn't make up a word. I had this entrustment from God to be here, to be here. And, and, and it was, and that's what it was. It was God had entrusted us. And if we couldn't make a difference for five years, then why would I come? Why, why would God give me this entrustment if it's true that being here only two years wouldn't really make any cultural spiritual difference in our church. And so I came with the, the commitment of staying five years. Now five turned into six, into seven, into eight. And anyway, that's another story. And we've stayed. But I tell you that story because from the beginning, I recognize that, that if you're going to make a difference, you've got to feel like this is something God has entrusted to you. And you need to feel the weight of that entrustment. In, in I lost count. I didn't number them. Here's the next one. You lead well when you model the likeness of Jesus for those you lead. Not lording it, verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leading well isn't about barking out orders. Leading well isn't about setting direction. Leading well is about modeling and being an example, which we've already talked about, being an example to those you lead. And, and Peter, uh, Peter doesn't say what we're to model. He just says, be an example to the flock, right? So if I could go back, be an example of Jesus 
stewardship, his leadership by servanthood. Be an example of that. He could be saying that same thing in repetition, right? Model Jesus servant leadership. And I think that'd be true. But, but I, but I want to suggest to you that leading well, whether it's at a ministry level leadership or whether it's an elder leadership or whether it's leadership in your home or whether it's leadership in the, in the world outside the church, wherever it is, you model, listen, you should model and be an example of the character that you want to see formed in the lives of those you lead. Now, we all fall at this, and I feel the weight of that, but, but we, we, should be, we should model the character and life and actions of Jesus. We should be like him. So when Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus, what he was saying is, have my character, because my character is the character of Jesus. Be like Jesus. This is why it's so important that we live out our character. We live out God's desire for us. If I had to single out three character qualities of Jesus to help us lead well, I'd I'd single these three out. And this is where it's just Jimmy, so... You can think of others, and maybe others are more important than these, but I would say to you, model the humility of Jesus in your leadership. I've told this story before. I remember when uh, George W. Bush made the mistake of saying mission accomplished. I remember on the, on the uh, what was it, aircraft carrier, and he had a photo op there, and it turned out the mission wasn't accomplished, and we'd have years and years of... And I used to say to people... Why doesn't George W. Bush call a press conference, sit at an Oval Office and say, hey, guys, I messed up. I was wrong. We, 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 we hadn't accomplished the mission. And I remember people would tell me, no, the president in chief, he can't, he can't humble himself like that. He can't admit that he made a mistake. I, I disagree. I disagree whether you're the president of the United States, whether you're a pastor of a church in Surrey, or whether you're the Fortune 500 leader, whatever. Model the humility of Jesus. Be humble. Be be about people. Jesus, though he was God, he emptied himself. He emptied himself and humbled himself. You do the same. Model the compassion of Jesus. Here'd be my second. If you're going to model anything, be an example to the flock. Be an example of the compassion of Jesus. The Bible says quite often, Jesus was moved by his compassion. Your humility will help you serve. Your compassion will help you love people, will help you care, want to shepherd people, want to be involved in their lives, not care about getting messy, not care about being some bad rubbed off on you because you're involved with somebody who's hurting or somebody who's failed. I think if there's one thing that we should model, maybe it should be this one more than any, the love of Jesus, the love of God. I've said this so often, but the one crowning, when God distills his character down to one thing, he says, God is love. That's what he distilled his character down to. The last one is model his forgiveness. Jesus was always so quick to forgive others, other people, his disciples like Peter and Thomas. And, uh, and I'm pretty convinced that had Judas come for forgiveness, Jesus would have forgiven Judas too. When you lead, others are going to fail you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. We talked about that last week. You you come to this gig of leadership, wherever you're leading, in whatever area, arena of life you're leading, you come to it knowing that people are going to hurt you and let you down. But just like Jesus, you model forgiveness. 
You know why you model forgiveness? You model forgiveness because as a leader, you're going to fail and you're going to want the same forgiveness back from others, right? But, but you should be the embodiment of forgiveness. You should be the embodiment of, of, not, of not holding it against people, not shutting down to people, but keeping your heart open to them. And then finally, and I'm done, you lead well when you remember that God rewards our faithfulness. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, when he comes again, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I've got to be honest, I struggle with this one. I don't want to be motivated by the rewards. I don't want to be motivated by what's coming in the future when... Uh, I, it just sounds selfish to me to be motivated by what is coming in the future. When the sh- chief shepherd comes, you'll receive an unfading crown of glory. I, just being honest, I want to be motivated by the love of God. I want to be motivated because I love God and I love people. That's what I want to be motivated by. I don't want to be motivated by rewards, and I don't want to be motivated by the fear of God punishing me either. In fact, I don't, I don't think that's ever to be our motivation. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that draws us to him. I want to be motivated in my life by those things. But I did have this thought this week. Whenever you get tired of leading and you feel like God's called you to lead, but you've gotten tired of it, and you're, you're tired of sitting in the chair of leadership and you really want to get out of the chair, but you know it's not time to get out of the chair yet, Remember that God knows that. And remember this, there's an unfading crown of glory for serving well to the end. In other words, I started seeing this as not motivated by reward, but motivated when you're tired to fuel your tiredness when when you're tired of leading. Let, Let God's promises of the future carry you on when you're tired of leading and yet you know God still desires you to lead. Let God's pleasure over you energize your lacking desire. Now why does does Peter take time as he's concluding this letter to say to the elders and I think to all of us who lead at some level or or whatever level you lead in, why why is he saying these things? I, I think it's because leading well Listen, I think leading well affects the generation down, downstream. I think leading well has an awful lot to do about tomorrow and what happens in the future. I want to read you a story as I conclude. Dale Burke, or Bork, not sure how you pronounce her last name, in her book, The Second Calling, writes that years ago she attended a conference, um, and when it was over, her friend Bruce offered her a ride to the airport, As they were about to leave, another man asked if he could get a ride with them to the airport. This is some sort of Christian conference. As they drove away from the hotel, she and Bruce asked the man where he worked, and he mentioned a Christian organization. And Bruce said, that's the guy who's driving, Dale and this this man. Bruce said, I have fond memories of that group because I attended a retreat of theirs one time, and that's where I became a Christian. It was 1972 in New Hampshire. Bruce went on to explain that eventually his whole family became Christians and went into Christian work. His sister was a Wycliffe missionary. And Bruce himself became a publisher for a major Christian publishing house. 
which brought many significant Christian books to the public. Bruce finished his story with a flourish saying that the retreat had had worldwide impact when you think about it. The man was silent. Dale and Bruce thought that maybe he just wasn't engaged with them. And then the stranger quietly said, I led that retreat. It was my first time as a conference speaker, and I felt like a total failure. In fact, until this moment, I've always believed it was one of the biggest failures of my life. And Dale Burke wrote, What had seemed like a simple act of offering a ride to a stranger had turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts whether we realize it or not. And I may spend the rest of my life, and this is her words, I may spend the rest of my life doing these things that don't seem at all successful, yet only God knows the full extent of what is done. I am called simply to be faithful. You may, you may never see, never see the results of your leading well. You may feel like it was a waste of your time. No one noticed. No one cared. But you never forget that there is an unfading crown of glory for faithful service. It's not, just for, it's not just for pastors and elders. It's for everyone who leads well and serves well and who's faithful. But also never forget this, that you never, ever, ever know how God is going to use your faithfulness in the years to come. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for Peter. <laughs> thank you this morning for the thought that Peter wrote this because of what you did for him and with him there, uh, you know, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when you told him to go and feed your sheep and care for your sheep and tend your sheep. Father, I want to pray for all of us that we would all lead well in whatever sphere of leadership we're been tasked or you've put your hand on us or you've led us to lead in. Lord, help us to do well. Help us to remember these exhortations from Peter about how to lead well. Father, we pray for the week ahead of us, Lord, that we would, uh, we would um, live for you. Help us to be faithful. Forgive us for our failures of the past week. And I pray, God, that you would just this week, Lord, help us to live with a renewed energy and a renewed desire to please you in all we do. Lord, may you be our motivation always. May loving you and loving others motivate our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.